Well, good morning, everybody. So apparently some of your love language is tacos. Uh, all kidding aside, uh, just want to welcome you this morning. Uh, thank you for joining us. It's a special day. Some of you guys have been here for a long time. Some of you guys have been here more recently. Uh, but what we're going to share this morning really has to do with the body of Christ and what God, what God has done in our nine years. But what I want to point out is that though we have been a church officially, you know, a local assembly of Christ, um, the reality is God's been working in this valley and in this world way before you and I were born. And so uh, this morning we're going to take a little bit of a caveat from what we've been studying in Exodus 35. But before we get there, I'm going to share a couple of announcements. Uh, one that's very important and is kind of time-related is that we're going to have a women's Bible study uh, starting March 23rd, which means that if you want to be a part of that, you've got to quickly make a decision, and uh, you've got to sign up, and then we're going to order books on the 16th, which is Wednesday. So, you know, if you don't already feel like the, the day started too quickly, maybe the week starts to feel like it started too quickly, time change, and now I've got to make a decision. Okay, am I going to be in the women's Bible study? But uh, if you want to be a part of that, uh, the, we're going to order the books by the 16th. So sign up, and then um, books are $12. So you can either put that in the box in the back or in the box by my office over there. Um, but we're going to order them either way, and then in faith we're going to trust that you're going to pay us back for them. But either way, we want you to be a part. So if we've got to buy you a book, we're, we're, we're going to be okay. $12 is not going to put us in the hole. Um, so that being said, I want to encourage you guys to be a part of that, uh, ladies, women. And so um, if you want to be informed about what's going on upcoming in the know plans for the AV women, you can text at AV women to uh, 81010. And then um, we have youth camp coming up July 11th through the 15th. So if you want to know more about that, uh, talk to some of our youth leaders. Um, uh, kid camp is coming up August 1st through the 4th. If you're interested in that, then get signed up for that. Uh, we actually have a sheet that they messaged out to our Remind group, and there's a link on there where you can fill out all the forms online this year. So we're getting really high tech. Um, if you want to keep up with what our youth are doing, you can text AV, at AVCHAP to 81010, and you'll get the text messages when we send updates. And then there's also one for our men's gatherings, and we'll usually have those scrolling before and after service. So I think that is all of the information that I need to give that way. So this morning we're going to do things a little different. You'll notice that I'm on the stage with this, you know, like talk show host type setup. And um, I'm going to uh, share a little bit from last week's passage and then what's going to lead into a testimony time. So in Exodus chapter 35... In verse 21, we were studying last week. <coughs> Excuse me. Exodus 35, verse 21, where Moses is being reminded by God that it's time to build the tabernacle. And that tabernacle is going to be built out of what? Materials. And so in order to get the materials together, Moses doesn't call up Lowe's and say, hey, I need to make an order. Instead, God says, I'm commanding you to take an offering. And that offering that he's commanding them to take is going to take some sacrifice on behalf of the people that are going to give things. But it says in chapter 35, verse 21, Everyone came 
whose heart was stirred and everyone's whose spirit was willing and they brought the Lord's offering for the work of the tabernacle of meeting for all its service and for the holy garments. And so I have there for you on the screen that everyone brought materials whose heart was stirred. Everyone whose heart was stirred brought materials. And then everyone whose spirit was willing. God works together with our willingness to do his will. And then everyone came bringing an offering to the Lord. So many times you've been to church and they've talked about what you can bring. But what I want to remind you of is that anytime God calls for us to bring something to him, it's because he's got a greater purpose in mind for those things. And so they're all supposed to bring those things for what? It's, it says there, the work of the tabernacle of meeting. He's going to take all those materials. He's going to build the house of God out of those physical, real materials. Except now, God is building a tabernacle. But what is the tabernacle? It's a place to meet with God. That's what the tabernacle was. They had no place to meet with God. So as they build this building, the people would come and bring offerings in this place where God chose to make his presence known in a very physical and real way. It's also a place to come and confess sin. Why, why do we confess sin to one another? So that we may be forgiven of sin. And so this is the tabernacle where they would do this. A place to offer thanks to God, to give thanks. That's what thanksgiving is. It's not just a meal, Americans. It's also giving thanks. <clears throat> it's communicating to God that you're thankful simply for what he's provided. It's a place to learn about God and grow closer to him. That's what the tabernacle was. The people that served God in the tabernacle would also be able to teach the people of Israel about God. And it was a place to serve God. The Levites, the priests, they would go there to work, to labor, to serve God with their lives. And then it's also a place not just to go to, but a place to be sent from to tell the world what God has done. And so that being said, what is the tabernacle? It's all of these things, right? Well, in the Old Testament, the tabernacle is a structure. It's a building. So <clears throat> you might say, we as a church have no tabernacle to build because we got a place to meet. We're good, right? Except the New Testament teaches us that the tabernacle is people. It's made up of you and I. It's made up of individual stones that are individual lives. Lives that have been changed by God. Lives that have been bought back from the slavery of sin, bought from Satan to live for the light, to live for Jesus. And so we are a people set apart for all things pertaining to worship and serving God, and it's all because of what Christ has done in us. So with that being the case, I want to turn to Ephesians in chapter 2, and if you'll bear with me, we're going to read the whole chapter but it's a powerful chapter about individual stones leading to a building made up of stones. So in Ephesians 2, Paul writes to the tabernacle, you might say. He writes to the building that encases or that the Holy Spirit dwells in. That building is you and I individually and then fit together, the Holy Spirit dwells in us. It says there in Ephesians 2, 1, 
and you, living stones, alive because of what Christ has done, and you, he made alive, who were, past tense, dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh. Notice that's all past tense. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and you were by nature children of wrath just as the others. But God, verse 4, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up together. Think about the tabernacle. They're going to raise it up. He's made you alive, and now he's raising us up. It's no longer about you. It's about us. Because collectively, we're the body of Christ. And he has made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. He says, you have been saved by grace through faith. And then he goes on in verse 10 and says, for we, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You notice this? There's this transition. There's this you were, now we are. He goes on and he says, we are his workmanship in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's, there's this idea of togetherness. Therefore, he says, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, you were aliens in the commonwealth of Israel, you were strangers from the covenants of promise, you had no hope, and you were without God in the world. That's where we all start. But now, verse 13, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both of us that were separate. One has broken down the middle wall of separation. He's abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, to create in himself one new man from two, thus making peace, that he might reconcile or bring back together them both to God in one body through the cross, therefore putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached to you who were afar off, and he preached to those who were near, Israel. For through him we both have access by one spirit to one father. Now, that's a lot, right? 
Now, therefore, in light of all these truths, you are no longer strangers. You are no longer foreigners. You all, if you are in Christ, are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You're all part of one family. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. That's what holds a building together, right? That's what sets it plumb. That's what ties it together. In whom, he says, you're tied to Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fit together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In whom you also, I want you to notice this phrase, are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Are being dwelt. So we, we've talked about the past. We talked about what Christ has done. And this is what he is doing. So the church locally is individual stones being brought together. You might see them as a pile. And then they are knit and fit together as one. And you are presently, today, God's desire is to currently build you together as one body where the Holy Spirit dwells and God makes himself known through you and I. Us. Not I, not you, but us. And so, with that being said, the question becomes... How come still some of us feel like strangers and foreigners when we get together? How can we mend this? I don't know about you guys, but, you know, the church has grown. I don't know everybody anymore. That makes me, you know, that makes me uncomfortable. But some of you are fine with that. And some of you are aggravated by that because you're like, I don't know everybody anymore. I I wish it was small again. And I get that. But the cool thing is, is that God desires to build his kingdom And one of the ways that he does that is by multiplying our numbers. But he's still doing this work we just read about. He's knitting us and joining us together as one. So how do we rectify those two things? How can we remedy the problem that some of us still feel like strangers around one another? And and I I think that the Lord gave me the answer. It's that we, we come together to stir one another up to love and good works by knowing each other. And how can we get to know one another without asking each other maybe the only thing we have in common, which is, how did you come to know Jesus? Thank you. How did you come to know Jesus? And and the question seems like a simple one. It might even seem oversimplified. But how many of you here have ever asked each other or have been asked, how did you come to know Jesus? So this morning, I'm going to show you this example of how encouraging this is just to listen to somebody's story about how they came to know Jesus. And so I've, I've put a piece of tape under one of your seats and randomly, <laughs> I'm not kidding. No, I am kidding. I would never do that. That would be terrible. I'm glad you guys have a sense of humor, because that could have went over really poorly. So ahead of time, 
I've gotten to know one of the couples from our church. That's why we have two seats up here. And I am not only going to ask you or ask them in front of you how they came to know Jesus, but it all started in their living room next to a fire on a cold winter's day. I said to them, how did you come to know Jesus? And so this morning I'm going to ask uh, Dennis and Alice Thomas to come up here and they're going to share with us. Let's welcome them. got to make it interesting. We already did this first service. Don't be tripping, Alice. That's old times. <laughs> so <clears throat> some of you may or may not know them, uh, but this morning I asked them to uh, please share their story with us. So Alice, Dennis, how did you guys come to know Jesus? Well, I'm going to go ahead and begin since I was the first one to um, accept the Lord. But um, I was raised in a really good home, and um, but I was a really, really strong, uh, what would you say, hard-headed, stubborn, rebellious teenager. And um, my mom said she'd always rather raise five boys than one girl. So... <laughs> Anyways, um, I met Dennis when I was 14 years old. We started dating, and um, we got married when I was 17. And so not only um, is marriage difficult with teenagers who are still in high school, we lived in different states. So we really didn't know each other too well. So once we got married... Um, you can imagine how do teenagers know what marriage is all about? How, how can they even um, know what love is, really, at that age? But we were together, and I had a good coworker and friend who saw our relationship, and it was nothing short of a nightmare because we did nothing but argue and fight. And so, anyways, it was just um, just a really terrible time. He would go out until 1 o'clock in the morning, so I'd go out until 2 o'clock in the morning just to do one-up on him. And it was just, um, it was terrible. But anyways, this friend of mine, she saw our relationship and said, shared with me that I needed to have Jesus in my life. So... I listened to her, and um, one night we had gotten into a horrendous fight, and I was in my bedroom, I'll never forget this night, I was in my bedroom crying and sobbing, and I started to pray, and um, I said, Jesus, I don't want you in my life right now. I'm having too much fun. And you know, Jesus was a gentleman. 
And he heard that prayer. And he let me have that much have fun for 10 more years. And in those 10 years, with all of the drugs and alcohol and adultery and idolatry and unforgiveness and even the occult, he let me go through all of that, all that fun, to where it took me to the point where I wanted to commit suicide. So I had decided that um, nobody loved me, so it was time to quit. And I was standing in my living room, and I said, doesn't matter. Nobody loves me anyways. So I started to walk out of, of my living room, and I got to a kitchen door and I heard a voice say, but I love you. And I knew I was alone in the house. Kids were in school. Dennis was at work. So I turned around to see who said it and of course there was nobody there. And I thought, okay, well I'm just thinking that. So I made it from my kitchen door into my bedroom door to go get my keys and I heard the voice again. And this is an audible voice. And it said a little more forceful this time, but I love you. Again, turned around to see, and there was no one there. Well, then, all of a sudden, a vision of my children being told what their mother had done. And I couldn't do that to my boys. I wouldn't do that to my children. So I decided at that point that I was going to saturate my life in theirs. That's all I was going to live for was those boys. I had no peace. I had no joy. I had nothing. I was just a walking corpse. There was nothing there. And about three weeks later, and Dennis and I again were still just just tearing each other to pieces. And about three weeks later, I had some friends that had prior moved to Texas, and they were moving back to California. And they wanted to stop by and see us. And I thought, this is going to be fun. This is going to be great. So party time is coming. We're going to have some good party time. And so they got there, and we sat around and talked, catching up, you know, and everything, for four or five hours. And I just, there's something different here. There's something way different. And, and the gentleman, his name was Jerry, he was a gentleman who wasn't a gentleman. This was a man that if you can imagine the very worst prisoner in prison, in level five prison, if any of you know what that is, um, he was bad. He was really bad, but he knew how to party. And, but there was something different. And I asked him, I said, Jerry, there's something different about you. What's going on? And he looked at me and he said, do you really want to know? And I said, yeah. 
and he goes, his name is Jesus Christ. Uh, oh, God, here we go. <laughs> no party. <laughs> so, anyways, I thought, okay, I'll trip him up. Anyways, I started asking questions. Well, the Holy Spirit started working on my heart and on my brain and on every inch of me. I was asking questions, and they were giving answers that satisfied my soul like I've never been satisfied before. And I mean, we were up all night long because I asked question after question after question after question, and they had every answer. And it wasn't them. It was the Holy Spirit. But I was so satisfied with their answers. But anyways, they left the next morning, and they left me a Bible. I said, what do I do with this? I didn't know anything about a Bible. I didn't know Old Testament, New Testament. I knew nothing other than there was a bunch of these and thous in it. And I couldn't understand these and thous. So they told me that it was a living Bible, and, you know, Satan will do anything to keep people out of the Word of God. So, anyways, um, I started reading, and um, I read every day. And I found a journey to new life. And I can't tell you the day that I accepted the Lord, because I don't know. I just know that as I was reading, God was changing me. And he kept revealing to me that he loved me. And even though my marriage wasn't good, my kids were brats, and I just didn't know where I was going to go from here. God was there. He gave me hope. He gave me joy. He gave me peace. And he gave me new life. So you got to experience an all-night party you'd never experienced before. Well, One that actually satisfied instead of leaving you in somebody's front lawn. True. That's true. <laughs> Been Not there. that that's ever happened to me. No. <laughs> well, um, you know, it, it's, it's really funny because you think, people think that once they come to know the Lord, everything's hunky-dory and, you know, everything's really good and you don't have any more problems and, and everything's just going to be great. Not so. You know, that's not the case. I remember um, we, we were having a terrific arg argument, and we were just going at it. And I finally, I just said, hold on a minute. And I walked, in, walked into my bedroom. And remember, he isn't a Christian at this point. I am. And so I well, just... Well, that makes it easier. <laughs> so anyways, I walked into the bedroom, and I just got down on my knees, and I started praying. And I just asked God to take this from me, you know. I didn't want to discuss it. I didn't want to fight about it anymore. So I went back out into the living room, and, of course, he started right in. And I just looked at him, and I said, can't fight with you. I'm not going to fight with you. I said, if you want to fight about this, you're going to have to go fight with God, because I gave it to him. And he kind of looked at me and said, I can't fight with God. Uh, that's it. So that's my story. Yeah. Well, that's good. So 
um, one of the reasons I wanted to share them to share their story if they were willing is because I think a lot of people believe that um, if I get saved then everything's better and my life will just be easier and sometimes it gets more difficult actually most of the time it gets more difficult you become a salmon swimming upstream instead of a fish just going with the flow and uh, part of the hardness of that is you already had a relationship with your husband and now all of a sudden what the Bible tells us not to do is to be unequally yoked and because of your salvation you're now unequally yoked and so um, how, did, how did that go? did that rub you the wrong way? Yes. I left. I couldn't quite handle what was going on there. And I had, uh, I just love Ephesians too, because I, I read that often. It reminds me that uh, back then, I didn't get arrested first service. So I guess I can repeat this again. He was telling us that he was hoping the statute of limitations would let yeah. him free from anything he was going to share. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, but yeah, being involved with that, uh, seeing uh, what happened to Jerry, what happened to Alice, I mean, I was, I did not want to give up my life at the time. I was enjoying myself. I was enjoying my uh, friends that supplied me with my drugs and drinking buddies and uh, carousing I need Ephesians sometimes to read because I know I went through that. I met a lot of people that were raised Christians. They kind of just went into Christianity. They were always Christians. Uh, it's different when you're not a Christian. And uh, uh, I couldn't compete with what Alice was going through. I saw the change in her was miraculous. I saw the change in Jerry. I had left home for 16 months because I wanted to have my own life and do what I wanted to do without having to face my family, so I just left. That was how important my flesh was to me. It was more important than anything was to satisfy that flesh. And uh, I didn't know, I didn't have a way out until I saw what did in Alice's life and in Jerry's life and and I was at the end of my wits too. I accepted uh, Christ or actually I just asked the Lord for his help. I, I was on a street corner it was sometime during the early morning hours dark and, and that's when I just gave it up. I just gave it up. And uh, I didn't change all of a sudden something that took me many years to grow in Christ uh, because uh, maybe I asked him for his help half-heartedly but uh, through God's grace uh, he loved me anyway there was so much I didn't understand about how could God love somebody like me uh, it, it's an impossible thing for anybody to love me, I, I just, I was, 
was lost. Uh, but thank God, I thank God worked through Alice and he worked through Jerry and he worked through other people to show me that uh, there was a way out. He loved me enough to take me exactly like I was. I didn't have to stop doing anything. I just He just loved me right how I was. God, thank you. So it was from then on that I began to grow in Christ. He, he picked, took things away from me, took them away and took them away and took them away and replaced them with his love and his word and other Christians and to help me in my growth. And it, uh, thank you, God. Uh, to go through that was... Uh, it's, it's not easy for me to go back and see the way we were, but it's God's purpose I know in my life to put us through that so that we could tell other people that uh, it's there's a way. I don't care where you're at or where your 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 marriage is at. Uh, God put you together as man and wife, and when He fills you with that love. Just for me, um, Dennis said, you know, he left for 16 months. And so I had I had gone to see an attorney to um, start divorce proceedings. And I went to the Lord, and I, you know, I, I really wanted God's will in it. I didn't want my will. I wanted God's will. And so I asked the Lord, I said, is this something that I really need to do? And, you know, I know we're never supposed to take God's word out of context. But sometimes he has those little jewels, those little pieces of jewels and precious treasures in there. And sometimes it's a word, sometimes it's a phrase. Anyways, I, God knows that with me, he has to just speak it out, you know, or tell it the way it is. I can't just sit here and decipher. He has to just put it in black and white or red and white. <laughs> Anyways, um, so I was I was seeking His will, and I said, I I have every biblical um, reason. I can, you know, I can leave Him. He's He's committed adultery, and and I can leave Him and and be okay with God. But God said, No, you're not going to leave Him. So he took me to Philippians. And in Philippians, I know it's Paul talking, and he's saying, even though I want to be with you, it's better that you stay. 
And like I say, I know it's out of context, but that was God telling me to stay. And that's how I took it. So I stayed. And I was in God's word every day. And if I can, if I can encourage each and every one of you, please, that's, that's where life is. That's where your hope is. If I wasn't in the word every day, I, I can't even imagine where I'd be. And so, you know, God's word speaks to you. And if you're going through anything, no matter what it is, God has the answer. So, you know, that's my, you know, that's where my hope is, is in Jesus Christ. You know, we sing a song, our hope is in Jesus, and it is. So, I just had to say that. That's so good. And so, um, this morning, I wanted to have them share their story as an example for you guys to uh, simply ask each other that question. Ask each other, how did you come to know Jesus? You know, that may not be the first thing you say to somebody, but at some point we got to start talking about that. Because here's what happens. If, if I meet somebody and I get to know them for a while and I get to know what kind of car they drive and what their hobbies are those are all good things they're they're not sinful things but if i don't know how they came to know jesus i'm not able to receive the encouragement that comes from hearing how god worked in their life and i don't know about you but i i need more encouragement than i need discouragement the world's given me enough of that so to be encouraged sometimes we're looking for encouragement and all we have to do is look at the person next to us in church and go man i this is the situation i'm in this is what i'm struggling with do you know anything about it? And, and sometimes it's going to lead them to give you some biblical advice. And some of them, they're, they're just going to go, well, here's what God did for me when I was in a similar situation. But I think one of the ways that God builds his church locally is by us talking to each other and just recounting what he's already done, not trying to do something new. And from that, we're inspired to do the new works that he's planning to do. And so uh, my biggest my biggest encouragement to you is as, as we're eating tacos today, no doubt, tacos are awesome. But ask one person, how did you come to know Jesus? And they might correct you and go, well, he already knew me, so, and they might have a theological thing to say. But the question is, you're known by God, have you been saved by him? Because I would venture to say in a gathering this large, more than likely, there's at least one person in here, probably more, that if you ask them, how did you come to know Jesus? They're going to give you a blank stare because either they've never been asked that and they've never thought through to put that to words. So they'll be encouraged to do that, hopefully. Or there will be some that'll say, I, I don't know that I do know Jesus because I have no idea what you're talking about. And that's the weirdest question anybody's ever asked me. And at that point, there's conviction there. They're going, okay, maybe it's not just about going to church or being nice to my family. The gospel is something that has to be received and believed and walked in. Jesus Christ died for the world, but he also, in the same way, died for each individual in the world. And each individual one of us have an opportunity to receive salvation by grace. We don't deserve it. You just heard that. Through faith. It takes us exercising our will and saying, 
I believe that this is for me. And so I would encourage you this morning, if any part of their testimony just really nailed you, and you're like, I need to have that conversation because I'm discouraged because I thought I'd flip a light switch and Jesus would just change everything and it would all be right. But we are being fit together. It's a, it's a process. We are being made holy by the blood of Jesus. And so while he saves us right now, if you receive him, there's also this piece where he sanctifies us. He is setting us apart. He is making us weird to the world. He is making us more like Jesus. And you might be at a different spot than I am in. And I might be in a different spot than you're in. And that's great because as we're in different spots, we can encourage each other to just simply keep going. To keep seeking his face. To keep gathering together, assembling ourselves so that we can be stirred up and not settle, if that makes sense. I don't know what you're going through today, but I guarantee each one of you have something going on. Some of you are just tired because you stayed up too late and then the time changed. But each one of us has a way that God's met with us personally. And it might be this morning that through their testimony, you're going, God's calling me. Don't walk out those doors without coming up and praying with somebody to receive Jesus if you haven't before. He loves you. He loves the world. Don't get me wrong, but he loves you right where you are today. And he he died for you just like he died for me. And he wants you. I don't care what you've done. My story is very similar, just different. I, I, I was blessed to get married after I got saved. I praise God for that. But some of you received Christ after you got saved. Or excuse me, whoa, that doesn't make any sense. <clears throat> Every week there's something quotable. It's not necessarily a good quote. But some of you got married before you received Christ. There we go. And so it became more of a mess, not more of a blessing. But God put you in the life of your spouse to work it out, to trust Jesus. Because guess what? You got married maybe even thinking that the person you married would be your savior. And hopefully, after a couple of days, you realize that was malarkey. I don't know about you guys, but getting married should prove that you need a savior even more than you thought. And he uses that person to rub the rough edges off. And sometimes it's a skill saw cutting a piece off. And sometimes it gets down to 800 grit sandpaper. And then sometimes there's a chisel. It hurts, right? But God uses us to make us more like Jesus and transform our lives by the renewing of our mind. And no doubt, the word of God is able to save. If you're sitting in a room by yourself and you just had this, God can save you. But he also uses the testimony of a changed life. And sometimes, however it works, it reaches people more deeply than just reading. It's like the testimony of two witnesses. I've read this, I heard their story, and it all melded. It made sense. It tied it together. It was like two people telling me the same thing. And so I don't know where you're at today, but I want to pray. And as I pray, we're going to close with the song of worship. And then I'm going to give you some housekeeping items before we eat tacos. So, Lord Jesus, thank you so much for Dennis. Thank you for Alice. 
thank you how their testimony really just resonates what you did. Alice didn't leave or forsake her husband because you don't leave or forsake her. We love because you first loved us. And until we realize how much we're loved, we can never be used by you. So, Father, thank you for your love that transforms us from dead to alive. And thank you that though that happens individually, that as you build this representation of your kingdom on earth that shows the world Jesus, that that representation is not a building. It's not stones. It's people. And as we are built up and as we're fit together, we more clearly show the world Jesus. And so I pray this morning... As we celebrate nine years being a church, being a local assembly of Christ, a local manifestation of your glory, that this would just be the beginning. Not for our glory, not for our increase, not for numbers, but so that many, many more would have a testimony to share about how Jesus interrupted our lives and changed us. So, Father, thank you for your love. Jesus' name.